invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. So we've been making our way through this wonderful letter. Peter is uh, seeking to encourage uh, a suffering church, a church that's scattered through the world of that day, and um, they are the, the, uh, a minority in the most uh, significant way imaginable. They are despised both by the, the Jews and by the uh, more and more suspected by the Roman government of being subversive, and so persecution is beginning to mount. And Peter's writing to them of how to stand in the, in the, uh, the culture of that day, uh, living out their calling, which is to proclaim the excellencies of uh, the God who called them. And as we, uh, we've been going through, we've noticed that uh, Peter has called them to humility. Peter has called them to, um, to live out their character in verses 8 and following. And we're going to pick it up at verse 8, but we'll be looking tonight at verses 13 through 17. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, you inspired by your spirit, the apostle Peter, a man like us in so many ways, and yet a, a, a trophy of the grace of God and testament to the power of, of mercy and grace. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, he's written this letter for us, for our encouragement, uh, explaining to us the wonderful grace of God and, and calling us to stand in it. So, Lord, give us ears to hear then tonight and to love your word, uh, to receive it, to uh, be, be molded by it, framed by it. We pray uh, that you would do this, Lord God, for the glory of our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Paul Carter, <clears throat> written a, a fascinating article uh, called The Bithynian Option, and in that article, he says this, sometime over the last 10 years, the evangelical church made a startling discovery, we are not in Kansas anymore. Things have changed. This is not your grandfather's church, it's not your grandfather's culture, it's not the promised land, and it's not a Christian culture. And the, the question that Carter raises in the article is how should Christians respond to an increasingly hostile uh, cultural environment? How do we uh, respond faithfully, uh, effectively, uh, in a culture which is not only post-Christian, but is, uh, which is becoming more and more anti-Christian? And uh, you don't have to uh, look at the headlines 
uh, very long to realize that that is, that is what is uh, taking place, that um, the Christian, the, the idea of, of religious liberty is, is quickly being um, uh, mocked, scorned, uh, derided, seen as an uh, insignificant thing. Um, common sense laws and rules are, 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 are scorned. Uh, the, in North Carolina, they passed a law just recently which would forbid grown men from using the same restroom as little girls. And um, PayPal and Coca-Cola uh, have uh, canceled um, conventions that they were going to hold in those uh, in cities in North Carolina. Bruce, Stink, Bruce Spring, Springsteen, sorry, canceled a concert that he was going to have. And uh, these companies are not. <clears throat> They're not dumb. They believe that this is good for business. Uh, that the, as they take a stand for the um, against these sort of common sense things, take a stand against Christian uh, intolerance. Um, that it'll, it will be good for business, and they have not yet been proven wrong. <clears throat> and so uh, we do live in changing times, and we have to face the question: How do we? How does the church going to respond? How do we? What's going to be our stance? Uh, there are various options, of course. Uh, one of the most popular options <clears throat> is the accommodation option. Uh, this isn't a strategy as much as just a capitulation, but it's what many uh, Christian churches decide to do. Of course, they decide to do it with the best of intent. Uh, their thinking is, <clears throat> if, if we want to reach the culture, we have to do everything we can to be liked by the culture. And so if the culture finds <clears throat> uh, ideas like a hell and judgment to be, um, well, just uncomfortable, unpleasant, um, intolerant. If, if the culture is not comfortable with those ideas, then we're going to have to find a way to uh, hold on to our faith and yet jettison those, those offensive uh, doctrines. And so, again, Rob Bell, he's not alone, there's many others, uh, are sort of on the cutting edge of saying, is it, do we really need a doctrine of hell in order to be Christian? Uh, couldn't we abandon that doctrine in order to reach our culture and, uh, and, still be, and still be the church? What is really lost if we let it go? Um, th- does the culture object to the Bible's um, perspective on human sexuality? Well, of course it does. And so you have all sorts of people uh, chiming in, Christians who, uh, who profess to be Christian, saying, well, we just need to recognize the Bible was written a long time ago in a, in a different culture. Uh, surely the sexual mores of, of that day and age can't simply be assumed for our modern day. And, 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 and in fact, a lot of the texts dealing with sexual morality, they're in the Old Testament. And we know that uh, they'll say that the Old Testament really doesn't have much to say to the, the New Testament church. And so there's some very ingenious reinterpretation of the text and trying to make the Bible fit with the culture. Again, people will say with the best of intentions that we, if, if we want to reach the culture, we must be, um, we just need to be careful about how we present uh, the Christian faith. And so that's the accommodation option. It's, being, it's very popular. Maybe some of you saw the BuzzFeed video came out about a year ago, I think, where there was uh, about maybe eight young people that they just did little, these little video clips with, and each one of them saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm not. And then I'm a Christian, but I'm not anti-gay. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm not legalistic. I'm a Christian, but I, I still like to party. I'm, I can still listen to Beyonce. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not that kind of Christian, that, that intolerant, narrow-minded, uh, bigoted, uh, fundamentalist, biblicist sort of Christian. The, the, 
there's a new Christianity where, where you can look and act and think just like the world and, and still be called a Christian. That's the accommodation option. And we're going to find <clears throat> as the culture uh, increases its opposition to the church, you're going to find more and more Christians and more and more churches arguing, arguing for that option. But there are others um, who are drawn to the withdrawal option. And um, that option is just, let's batten down the hatches, let's, let's sort of hunker down behind our uh, walls of theological orthodoxy, let's, um, let's build some barriers for our Christian community, and let's wait for this ideological storm to pass on by. Uh, but that's also a problem. You see, while the accommodation option jettisons biblical orthodoxy in order uh, to avoid conflict with the culture, the withdrawal option jettisons the biblical mission in order to avoid conflict with the culture. It's an abdication option. Uh, it, it ditches, it holds on to the theology, but it ditches the, the mission, the purpose, in a sense, for the theology. You see, the command of Jesus still stands, go making disciples into this world. Be in this world, though not of it, but in it. Live in this world, before this world, in a way, as Peter has said now in various ways, so that we silence the foolish talk of ignorant people, uh, so that we broadcast the marvelous excellencies of the God who's called us. Uh, we're, Peter means the church to be in the world, and in the world on mission. In the world, holding to its truth, holding to its, the, its theology, but on mission. So how do we do that? Well, that's really the, the, the lesson of the whole book. Uh, if, just, if, you, if, if you remember, uh, Peter started by calling the church to remember who we are. You are a holy nation. You're a nation of priests, a people belonging to God. Uh, the world maybe despises, but there is such glory attached to the church of Jesus Christ. It's going to be critical as the church enters into a time of, of uh, increasing opposition. Uh, we need to remember who we are. We are foreigners in a fundamental sense. Um, America is not our, our home in the, in the truest sense. Uh, we are ambassadors sent from another king. Our ultimate allegiance lies with King Jesus. And, and our, our greatest mission in life is Jesus' mission. We belong to a kingdom that will never, ever, ever fail. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Um, so we need to remember who we are. Peter's pointed that out. We need, to, we need to strive to put on what we are. So Peter talks about uh, submission and humility, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly, brotherly love. All these, uh, these character traits, that's critical to our witness. We can't just have stances. We can't just have positions. Um, just moral values. That was a huge mistake that the church made in the uh, 70s and 80s and 90s, that, that we're going to be uh, identified by our moral values. Well, every religion in the world could, could take that position and be identified by their moral values. That's not what the church has been called to define by. We're to be defined by the person of Jesus Christ, His mission, and that mission is to, we're to identify that with that in such a way, it changes who we are. So something's happened, there's, there's, there's transformation, there's sanctification taking place. And again, that sanctification, not just a, a change of moral values, but a, a change of moral character. We're becoming different kind of people. 
And that reality is going to be displayed, as we saw last week, in the context of oppression. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Peter is assuming it's going to happen, and it is already happening. He personally has experienced it. But on the contrary, he says, bless those who, pers- who, who revile against you, because to this you were called. This is the calling, to, to be reviled and then bless in response. That's the calling. And we asked last week, how are you going to do that? Well, you can only do that by keeping Jesus front and center. And yet Peter, as he calls the church then to take this, this wonderful gospel stance in the world, promises them that they will be blessed. He quotes from Psalm 34 that uh, there will be blessing in this, in this life, this life of being reviled, um, this life of, of even suffering for Christ's sake, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And Peter then um, picks up this confident theme of the blessing of God, and he asks in, in, in verse 13, who is there to harm you if you are zealous to do good? Who's there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? Now, that could seem like a very naive question, because the answer could be, well, lots of people are eager to harm Christians as they do good. Jesus did nothing but good his entire life. Look what happened to him. The church isn't crazy about Christians acting like, the world isn't crazy about the the Christians acting like Christians. They're offended by Christians often acting like Christians. And so Peter, uh, what do you mean who's going to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? But see, Peter knows what you're thinking, which is why he immediately says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. He knows what you're thinking. But see, it's fascinating that Peter does not think of harm the way that we think of it. We tend to think of harm as something that's painful, something uh, emotional, physical, financial, suffering of some sort. And so uh, as, as uh, the, the culture increasingly opposes the church, and maybe we, ha- we start having rights taken away or privileges taken away. We lose our tax-exempt status. Think of that. You're all the money that you give in offerings. It's, when you get to the end of the year and you've got to fill out your IRS form, you can't declare any of it anymore. That's going to cost you something. There's financial harm, right? And it might get much more severe than that. But, but, but Peter, you see, he says, well, that's not, that's not harm, it might be suffering. There might be suffering involved in following Jesus. Notice he says, even if you should suffer. So there will be suffering involved in following Jesus, but there won't be harm involved. You'll be blessed. He promises it. Now, where did he get that? Well, maybe he got it from our Lord, right? From Jesus when he said, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. Jesus says if, if that's happening to you, if, if you are suffering because you belong to Jesus, rejoice and be glad. I remember talking to Jonathan Falk, uh, one of our um, missionaries. I'm on a, serving on a committee with him. Just a great, great guy. And uh, he was talking about when he was in Eritrea and the church had been, uh, the local congregation had been arrested and most of them thrown into jail and he was, uh, he was with them. And uh, in jail, I, I'm thinking three, four days, maybe a bit longer. And I asked him about that experience. And he said, it, 
he could hardly talk about it. It was so, it was so uh, moving, so profound. And, and he said the presence of God was unlike anything we'd, we'd ever known. The joy that we experienced together in that hot prison cell uh, was unlike anything that he'd ever, he'd ever known. That's what Jesus says. There, there, there are blessings when we suffer for the name of Christ. And, and Peter, of course, had experienced this. Uh, right, right off the bat, when, when Jesus ascended and Peter preaches this great Pentecost sermon and they start doing ministry and, and thousands are being converted, the, the religious leaders, of course, if you remember, um, arrest them and drag the, the apostles uh, before the, the council and um, they're debating what to do with them. Shall we, shall we put them to death? And when God gets up and says, well, if you do that, this might just go like wildfire. Why don't we just wait and see? If it's of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And if it's not of God, it'll die out of its own. So they, they thought that sounded good. And so what they, what they did, Acts 5, they called in the apostles and they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now beating, this would probably be with the whip. What they were legally allowed to do uh, without, without a trial, 39 lashes of the whip. It's, a, it's an awful experience. And yet, they let them go, and, and they left the presence of the council, the apostles, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So Peter has experienced this. Now, friends, I, I, I look at myself and say, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't like pain. But I see, I think everyone would, would say the same. Nobody, nobody's like, man, I love pain. I hope you don't say that. But don't you think God gives grace to these apostles? Don't you think God gives grace to those who are imprisoned? That there's a special blessing that, that, that Christ gives when people suffer for his name? That seems to be the testimony of the church throughout the ages. And so Peter then, in writing to this, this small, scattered church, gives them just three basic points, and that's, that's very going to be brief tonight, three points, three, three commands, um, don't be afraid, honor Christ, and speak up. Don't be afraid, honor Christ, speak up. Don't be afraid. It's one of the most common, if not the most common command in all the Bible, fear not. Why is that so common? Well, because God knows us, doesn't he? He knows that we get frightened. Boys and girls, uh, you get scared of things, don't you? You get scared of um, dark. You get scared of strange noises in the night. Maybe you're scared of car washes. I don't know. We had a little guy who was scared of car washes. Uh, The Noah flood stories were just sort of kind of running through his mind. We get scared, right? Big people get scared too, boys and girls. They get scared about losing their job. They get scared about losing their health. They get scared about um, failing somehow. They get scared about dying. Uh, big people get scared too. And yet the Bible over and over says, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, fear leads to so many other sins. Fear leads uh, to awful things. Peter committed his greatest sin, denying that he knew Jesus because he was afraid when a little girl asked him, aren't you one of the Galileans. A fear makes us, um, makes us strike out to, to try to fix life on our own. Fear uh, makes us do things that are completely against the word of God, against what we know to be true. It's a great cause of sin. Don't be afraid. 
It's an abdication of faith. When Jesus gets in the boat, or he's in the boat with the disciples, and the waves are coming, crashing into the boat, and they're panicking. Lord, Lord, we're going to drown. Don't you care? Um, what does Jesus say? Well, first he calms the wind and the waves, and then he says, you of little faith, little faith. These experienced fishermen who knew that the boat was, was very near to sinking, uh, Jesus chastises them, rebukes them for their little faith. You see, f- f- fear is just, it's contrary to everything that's true about Christ and about the Christian faith. And fear then um, keeps you, it keeps us from our faith and the experience of our faith. Keep faith uh, fear keeps you from the joy of the Lord. You cannot have the joy of the Lord and be doubting the Lord at the same time. Fear keeps us from courage in witness. It keeps us from peace in trial. It's an awful thing. So Peter says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them, the people who are threatening you. Don't be troubled by them. It's very likely he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 8 loosely, but, but that seems to be the verse in his mind uh, where uh, God says to Isaiah, do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. The Lord of hosts you shall honor. Don't, don't honor people in any sense of being afraid of them, but honor the Lord of hosts. You know the, the word, uh, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies of heaven, the master and the ruler of the heavenly hosts. Great story in 2 Kings 6 when Elisha's um, keeps telling the king of Israel the plans of uh, the Syrian king, I believe. And, and uh, th- this guy's like, Who, which one of you is, is um, telling my secrets to, to, to the king of Israel? Because every time we, we plan a, to um, ambush them, they know about it. And one of the guys pipes up, says, my master, that there's a prophet over there, Elisha. He knows the words you speak in your bedroom. That's a frightening thought for this pagan king. And so he figures out what we need to do with this guy. Let's go get him. And so they get the army together and they find out where he is and they show up in the town. And you know the story, Elisha and his servant wake up in the morning. The servant goes outside and outside on the porch and, and the place is surrounded with the army of, his, of, of, of Syria. Master, what are we going to do? And I, man, if I, you know, you just love to see Elisha. He gets up and maybe he's got his cup of coffee and he steps out on the porch and looks around. And he says, Lord, open this guy's eyes. Help him see. Uh, because he said, right, those, the, the hosts that are with us are vastly more than, than with them. And the servant's eyes are open and the hills are surrounded with the hosts of heaven. Chariots of fire. And Elisha says, Lord, um, make them blind, and, and God does, and, and Elisha goes down and says, gentlemen, I think you got lost. This isn't the right place. Uh, let me show you the way, and he leads them directly to uh, the capital city and presents them there to the king of Israel. That's what we need to remember. That's our God. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is never present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. That's what Peter says. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the culture. Don't be afraid of, these, uh, of the threats of these uh, um, politicians and the threats of organizations, the threats of, of uh, violent armies. Paul, Peter says you don't, you don't need to be afraid. There's no need for fear. 
But in your heart, honor Christ as Lord. It's a critical second part of it. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That means make a decision down in the, in the center of you where you live and out of which your life flows. Make a decision down there that you're going to honor Christ as Lord. The, the, the man of God, uh, the, the Nazarene, Jesus. You're going to confess, not just with your mouth that he's Lord, but in your heart you've made a decision that that Jesus reigns as King of Kings. That Jesus is Lord of Lords. And no matter what people say, no matter what the culture does, no matter what the world, how the world might threaten, you serve Jesus. In that day, this uh, honor Christ as Lord would be, would be an intentional affront or uh, um, resistance to um, the insistence of the Roman government that Caesar be honored as Lord. In fact, this is one of the ways that the, uh, that the Roman government figured out they could, they could flush out real Christians this way. Uh, Carter points out that Pliny the Younger, one of the governors in Rome, uh, discovered that the best test uh, by which to identify true Christians, not just sort of hanger-ons, but the real deal, the best test was to order those who were suspected of being Christians to curse Christ and offer incense to a statue of Trajan, the emperor, on the threat of their life. Because what Pliny the Younger discovered is that real Christians wouldn't do it. The follower, the hangers-on would. You bring them there, you threaten their life, say, all you got to do is curse Christ and offer some incense here, you can go. And they, and, and they would. But the true believers refused. They had honored Christ as Lord. They had, they had made their choice. And if it cost them their lives then so be it. Friends, this is the time where the church has got to make this decision. We can't wait until the day when they show up at the door. We've got to be making this decision day after day after day. Who's going to direct our life? Who, who, who has our allegiance? Fundamentally, what has our allegiance? Is it self? Is that fundamentally who rules your life? What you feel like doing? What you think? What you want? Is that fundamentally the Lord of your life? So that if someone comes to you and, and, and shows you the error of your way, shows you that this is not according to Christ, you just sort of blow that off, or, or whatever messages you might hear just sort of runs off your, 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 your back like water off a duck because you've made your decision. You know what you want. Who's going to be the Lord of your life? Friends, family, work, pleasure? Or is it going to be Jesus. And you make up your mind day after day, Lord, today I, I'm going to honor you as Lord. What you say, I want to believe. What you command, I want to do. What you promise, I want to hold on to. I want Jesus to reign in my life. And again, friends, that decision cannot wait until the day of calamity. You won't be able to make the decision on the day of calamity if you're not making that decision in the day of comfort. In your heart, honor Jesus Christ as Lord, the real deal. Where you get on your knees before Jesus Christ, you confess your sin. You confess all the ways that you've sort of avoided him or ignored him. You say, Jesus Christ, I want you to reign in my life. I want you to reign in this home. I want to honor Jesus Christ as Lord. And then be prepared to give an answer because that kind of commitment, that sort of decision is going to raise questions. People are going to be confused 
Always be prepared, Peter says, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it, yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. And the words that Paul, Peter uses here, make a defense, it means to give a reasoned, thoughtful response to the questions. And so when, when someone would come and say, why don't you obey Caesar? Why don't you just offer incense to him? What's the big deal? Well, you respond by saying, well, we, we do obey Caesar in every way that we can, but we cannot do this. We will not offer worship to him because he's not Lord. He's not God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my God. Jesus is my Savior. It's exactly what Polycarp said when he was commanded to curse Christ or be burned at the stake, and he gave just such a defense. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? How could I do that? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. That wasn't a threat, it was a fact. And Polycarp made his defense and then went to be with his Lord. When the world asks, how can you be so intolerant? How can you insist that your religion is the only way to be saved? You need to be able to answer that. What are you going to say to that? Well, just give them the story. I believe the, the God of the Bible made heaven and earth. I believe that he made us in his image. I believe that we owe him obedience. And, and yet we've disobeyed and death came into the world because of our disobedience. But God was not willing that we should perish. But he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. And so, dear friend, I'm not trying to be rude. I just believe that the Bible makes more sense of this world and of my life than anything else I've ever read. Have you read it? Would you like to read it? I'll happily, I'll happily join you. When the world says, why don't you get over your prejudicial, narrow-minded, bigoted, judgmental, sexual hang-ups and just let people be? Well, you need to answer that. I believe that God made us in a unique and special way and that when we transgress that way that there's devastating things that happen. It's because I love my God and I love people that I don't want to see them destroy their lives in these, in these ways. Yeah, but how do you, why do you believe all that stuff? Didn't the churches make all that stuff up about Jesus being God? I read a book and now you run into this all the time. I read a book somewhere, some brown da Vinci something. In fact, there was a movie, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, right in the movie. Church made the whole thing up. How are you going to answer that? Well, you could say, I'd love to discuss that topic with you, right? Let's get a Bible and let's, let's see what it says. I'll happily discuss that. I'll happily study that with you. But see, when we're living um, with Christ as Lord, we're going to make decisions that confuse people because they, seem, they don't seem... They don't seem to make sense. We're going to make decisions that hinder us or hurt us financially. We're going to make decisions to, to bear with uh, un, uh, difficult people, maybe even in a difficult marriage. Um, we're, going to, we're going to make decisions about our children that, that seem to sort of constrict them, at least in the world's view. We're going to make decisions that, um, to allow people to take advantage of us at times, and, and we're not going to revile. We're not going to, we're not going to file a lawsuit. And people are going to ask, why do you do that? Why do you bear with that? Why do you allow that? Why don't you fight back? And we're going to say, because we've been called to follow our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered so much for me, to rescue me from my sin. 
And I belong to him now, and he's called me to suffer, to bless when I'm reviled. He's called me to do that because he loves me, and he's going to hold me fast. I'd love you to know him. Do you? Would you like to? Friends, we are in a world that is utterly, absolutely lost. And we have the gospel. Not because we, anything special about us, God has blessed us with the gospel. And we can stand in faith, we can stand in Christ, we can be ready to answer. We don't have, you don't have to be a brilliant apologist. You just need to know Jesus and make the conversation about him. When people want to get off on, on, on a whole array of tangents, uh, just bring the conversation back to Jesus. Bring it back to the Word of God and, and back to Jesus Christ and, and let people know who He is and what He's done for you and why you love Him and why you're committed to serving Him, what you believe He's promised to you and the reasons why you think He's going to keep that promise. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. And Paul says you'll have a clean conscience, a good conscience, and if we have to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, Peter says that's a good thing. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get on and we'll look at our Lord Jesus, how he suffered and what he did. Uh, tonight, uh, as we come to the Lord's table, we come um, saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you came to us. You came and you suffered on our behalf. And uh, you've called us now to suffer for his sake. So let's, let's uh, ask for his help as we look into a new week. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, there's a, a week ahead in a world around us that is increasingly hostile to you, and yet you've given us a mission, you've given us a calling, and I thank you, Father, you've given us Jesus. As we come to the table of Lord tonight, Lord God, I, I pray that as we commune with him and he with us, we would be able to, again, believe the truth of the gospel and rejoice in its fullness, how free it is, and how mighty it is. You could take, Lord, um, weak, frightened disciples who scattered to the winds when Christ was brought to the cross, and yet you could make them the, the builders, the foundation of the New Testament church, men who, who gladly went to their death proclaiming the name of Christ. Lord, do that in our lives. Make us bold, not in obnoxious ways, but bold in profound, um, God-honoring, Christ-exalting ways. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.